1: The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. We are HR trends with game changers. Very interesting topic today. The buzz is technology at work. That's a double entendre. So a d'entendre. So let me get you started. The debate rages on about how technology affects jobs and the people who do them with each advancement in tech. We see highly skilled jobs being created, and on the other side of the spectrum, we see low-skilled positions. But guess what happens? Sometimes the semi-skilled roles go poof, and they're gone. So let's face it. Dumping people into the economy who have not the skills and the knowledge and the expertise or even the will to compete for jobs isn't good if we want our society to be stable. And we're talking about a global society here. So the question is who wins, who loses? And I ask all of our listeners, how is your company helping to reskill those who fall through the cracks in the workforce? I call them the lost workforce. And where will it all end? So our topic today is technology for good. Or not so much destroying jobs and lives. I have a great panel assembled for you, and a shout out to Jennifer, who is the sponsor of this show, Jen McAdams. Thanks for joining us, and let's introduce our first panelist. It's Charlie Firestone. He's the executive director at the Aspen Institute of Communications and Society program, and VP of the Aspen Institute. And he'll straighten out my title when he gets on here. And Charlie sent me a wonderful quote from Robin Chase, the founder of Zipcar, and the quote: "Listen up, everyone. There's a little math involved here. My." Father had one job in his career. I will have seven. My son will have seven at one time. Great quote, Charlie Firestone. Welcome to HR Trends. How are you today?
2: Great, thanks, Bonnie.
0: Thanks for joining. That's a great quote. Talk to me. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you picked it and well, related to our topic. Go ahead.
2: I picked it because I think it sets a great context for the discussion. Uh, the first part of it, one job in his career, the father, it was a period of, you know, a social contract between the employer and the employee. You work for me, you have a job for life, for your life, and probably a pension. The next one, you know, our current uh, state, where somebody goes from job to job, maybe seven jobs in their lifetime, is a period where the employer if if they 're good offers employability, basically helping them with their skills and their knowledge so that they can be employed somewhere, not necessarily at that corporation or organization mm-hmm. and The seven jobs at one time is the world that we 're we 're approaching, which is one of e lancing and independent contractors and a global connected big data world where you can operate uh, you know, do many different things at the same time. Um, uh, And just one example, my wife is a sculptor, uh, got on uh, Shapeways, which is a 3D printing operation, had somebody design one of her sculptures into an earring. Uh, You know, when it was time for the fee, it was 25 euros because the guy was in uh, Germany. And then the 3D printing will be done. She didn't know if it was done in China or Long Island. And, uh, you know, it just comes to you. So that's our world today. And uh, and we need to be prepared for it.
0: It certainly is. I think it's already here when it comes to freelancing and e-lancing. Lovely story about your wife, by the way. Uh, I bet the earrings are really spectacular. I'm on Long Island, so I can go run around and see if there's a 3D printer that's making her Mm -hmm. earrings, Charlie. After the show, I'll go to (laughs) it. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I may know the people who did that. Thank you so much. Great intro. Let's bring on our second panelist. It's Bill Briggs. He's the chief technology officer of Deloitte Consulting LLP. And Bill sent me a combination of two quotes i will read them one is i'd rather light a candle than curse your darkness you may recognize that from raising arizona and bill says it's a great compliment to william gibson's quote the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed bill briggs how are you welcome to hr trends
3: hey bonnie great thanks for having me
0: pleasure talk to me
3: well, you, know, it's a combo. you look at the second one first, and I think at this point, with all the change happening in technology, every company is a technology company. And so we're faced with this unprecedented time to innovate and grow and, and reshape how work gets done to the topic of the day, but even broader, you know, how we compete in industry. Uh, and in that, it's there's challenges behind it. and we're going to focus on the workforce challenge of how do we retool our people and how do we keep make sure as they can be applied, technology is augmenting. Expertise and helping our people do things differently and better, and allowing us to redeploy them in more valuable ways. Uh, and that's important. And then the flip side is as we experiment and grow, we can't just get there from anywhere but today. So, that idea of how do we light the candle of the opportunity in front of us and how do we build our, you know, we're, we're building on top of our existing operating structure, organizational structure, the technology uh, landscape that exists today. So it's not like we can just proof it all into existence. So There's a necessary bridge to get there to tomorrow through today. And, and by the way, it's the right thing to do. So I, I just like the, the mix of the two and um, I think it helps set a good framing for how to tackle this unprecedented opportunity from us.
0: It certainly does. Thank you so much, Bill. Appreciate that, and and welcome again. And let's bring on a veteran of SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Dr. Stephen Hunt. He's the Senior Vice President of Customer Value at SuccessFactors. And Stephen sent me the very interesting quote. I'll read it. In a future filled with robots, we will still want people to hold our hands. Uh, Stephen Hunt, welcome. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks Um, for joining me. Talk to me. Is this an original Dr. Stephen Hunt quote?
4: It is, and actually something that came out from a conversation with somebody who was talking to me about a new robot that does phlebotomy and saying "No, this is going to eliminate phlebotomists because now they have these robots that draw blood. <laughs> sort of the future filled with blood-sucking robots was the original.
0: Ooh! <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and who And now we need, need to know who's really going to be there to hold our hand while they're sucking the blood. Ooh, well, go that,
4: ahead. That was really the point was when I was talking, I said, yes, the technology changes some things, but it doesn't do everything. And why technology changes a lot A lot of what people want does not change, particularly we're social creatures. And I think it really came home to me last weekend, Mm -hmm. my son, who's 16, totally tech, totally wired up and everything, went at great expense to himself and his friends to go wait in line forever to go see a live concert that he could have stayed home and just watched on his friend's cell phone. But they don't. We still. Why did mm-hmm. he go to this big social event um, that was very similar to the concerts that I went to when I was 16 in terms of standing in line and then it being loud and all standing around with your friends? Um, mm-hmm. Especially since you didn't have to. And I think is one of the things that's really overlooked a lot is, yes, technology changes a lot, but people don't evolve that fast. And I think that creates some interesting things as far as the future job markets.
0: Stephen, thank you. That, that brings to mind uh, about the concerts. Um, I, I put it in terms of we all like our war stories. You won't believe how long I waited online. and Wow, what great tickets I snagged. Look what I had to do to get them. And I was there in the front row standing up and waving at the, whatever it is. It's part of our, our, I used to call them war stories. Do you agree, Stephen, that it's part of our lore as a tribe, as members of our tribe to share those stories rather than, oh, we sat around and watched it on an iPad. Who cares, Right.
4: Yeah, I think it it is, the stories in being together. It's a little bit like when the Internet shopping started, people saying it was going to be the death of brick-and-mortar retail Mm -hmm. stores. Clearly that was not the case. There's a a social aspect to what we do as people that is not going away, and um, I think that has an impact on sort of the future of technology and the future of jobs, which I'm sure we'll get into more in a minute.
0: We sure will. Thank you so much. Anybody have a comment on what Stephen just discussed? Bill or Charlie? Yeah. i
2: agree I agree except have have you seen the movie her where uh yes. he actually falls in love with the artificial yes. intelligence now that's an exaggeration, but you know it it is doing a lot even in the uh social uh social element
4: yeah, I definitely agree it is change. i mean it definitely have an impact on how people make connections, but I still think the nature of the connection is, is yeah. very similar in- No, i agree. You know, mm-hmm. and also I and think if you, some myths again, take it, that are very concerning, like the myth of multitasking, people do not multitask. They divide their attention. The problem now is people mm-hmm. are being forced to divide their attention more and more and more. Um, I think we have to be careful, though, thinking that so many people have evolved cognitively to be able to multitask, and they haven't. They just wish they could.
3: Yeah, Charlie, mm-hmm. I'd I like to co-op. Peter Diamandis is a great quote about even with technology it changes in the Abundance. weeks. We, we Abundance, right? We have a fundamental operating system upgrade in 50,000 years, right? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> as a, a great matter of... Putting it. <laughs> Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance, was featured as a must-read on... Um I'm trying to think if it was on Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was on, yes, he was on CBS Sunday Morning. It was one of the two books he mentioned, and I'm going to suggest it to the people who are are sponsoring our radio show called Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. I thought that would be a great topic to talk about abundance. Oh, I feel so in the know, don't I? (laughs) Interesting. Listen, I have a very tough question for my three panelists. You all have been warned, and let's see what you come up with. I'm looking for uh, a social story, a people story. I want to know what's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking, or what are you going to have right after the show? So let's go back to Charlie Firestone at the Aspen Institute. Where are you calling from today, Charlie, and what are you drinking or wishful?
2: Washington, D.C., and Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, my cup does have coffee, but my wish is pu'er tea, and Pu'er tea is uh, actually going to be the subject of a novel by Lisa C, who's, uh, whose friend was telling us all about it. It includes 100 year 1,000 year old trees, tea trees, in Yunnan, and uh, they ferment these leaves. And it's you know people are paying enormous sums just for a cup of this tea. Um, you can get it, and actually, I did get get it in tea bags at World Market, and it's not the same thing. But what I want to do is be uh, drinking that, so that when I do go to China and get an opportunity to get the real thing, I'll know the difference.
0: Oh my goodness, that's an interesting point of view. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for sharing, Bill Briggs. What are you drinking?
3: Well, I'm in D.C. as well, Charlie. We could have uh, saved some phone coverage here, and, yeah. and, and uh, gotten together. But so, I, if I had an action figure, Bonnie, it would either have a Starbucks cup in it or a tumbler with a scotch or an old fashioned. Uh, so it would either make it would make for some interesting radio if I mixed up the two. But uh, I'm on the daily routine on that end of it. So it's a triple shot cappuccino um, in my cup right now. But I come from Kentucky, (laughs) born and raised, so I'm a bigger Scotch guy than a bourbon guy, but I come by it naturally, I like to say.
0: You want to recommend a good brand? What's your favorite brand?
3: Uh, 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 Bourbon or Scotch?
0: Either one. We'll take them both.
3: So the the canners at home right now, Balvenie, they've got some great, they've been doing some interesting things. The 14-year Caribbean cask is fantastic. And for an old-fashioned, the uh, Four Roses Single Barrel is a great everyday old-fashioned bourbon.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Wonderful, love it, thank you We're all, Everybody's smiling saying how soon is the show going to be over Okay, <laughs> Dr. Stephen Hunt, what are you drinking?
4: Uh, I am having Stumptown Coffee I live in Portland, Oregon um, Which is a mm-hmm. beverage-obsessed place If you've ever been to Portland I was thinking yes, there's I probably some place here that serves that tea You're talking about, Charlie um, puerh. Puerh. <laughs> yeah, puerh. But uh, Yeah, so just coffee now But um, probably have an IPA later on
0: IPA? Explain.
4: uh, India Pale Ale. That's a big
0: one. Oh, nice.
4: fresh hop season. All the hops are being harvested right now. And I think over over 50% of the hops in the United States are grown in Oregon. And this time of year, they get all these fresh hops. And if you've never had a fresh hopped beer where they take the hops right off of the vine, throw them in the beer, it makes for an incredibly floral beer. But you've got to be able to handle the bitterness.
0: I bet. That's interesting. I think I was a little too young or not interested in beer. I lived in Eugene for about 10 years, Stephen. I think we have talked about that and, and visited <laughs> Portland from time to time. My favorite memory of Portland, of course, is Rose's Bakery and the Japanese Gardens. The okay, so I have gardens. another
4: kind of weed that grows in Eugene, too, that you may have heard of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was too young for that, too. Or so she says. Okay, kids, let's get back to business here. You're listening to HR Trends. <laughs> you derailed me, Stephen. That's hard to do. HR Trends with Game Changers. Our topic today is technology for good or not and the question is, is it destroying jobs and lives? So we're going to find out the good, the bad and I don't know if there's an ugly in there but I'm speaking with Charlie Firestone at the Aspen Institute, Bill Briggs at Deloitte Consulting and Dr. Stephen Hunt, Steve to me, at Success Factors, and we're delighted to have Jen McAdams listening and she is tweeting. Jen, tell us what you're drinking. We'll repeat it. We'll talk about it when we come back. We're going to take a break, about 90 seconds. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, we start a 30-minute roundtable nonstop. We're going to kick it off with some words of wisdom on our topic from Charlie Firestone. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Michael out. (music)
1: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise today's reality, your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. H.R. Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're enjoying H.R. Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers.
0: Thanks for sticking around. We're back with our roundtable segment. I'm going to kick it off with Charlie Firestone at the Aspen Institute. Charlie, let's do a little bit of historical look back. Let's level set and set the stage for what we're talking about today. And again, if you're just joining us, our topic is technology for good or not, destroying jobs and lives. So I think there's an upside to that. We're going to find out what it is. Charlie told me in his notes before the show, he said, with each advancement, technology reduces some jobs while it creates other jobs. And the historical look back is from 1900 to 2000, we went from 41% agricultural workers in the U.S. to wait for it wait for it 2% that's huge charlie talk to me
2: well it absolutely is true, uh, huge and in 1900 and certainly in the uh, prior years people couldn't have imagined that this wasn't an agricultural country or that you know most of the uh, jobs were agricultural um now as you said it's 2% the family farm is a rarity and uh you know we're in a totally transformed uh, world but in those days, uh, 1900, if you looked ahead, you would have never imagined the bioscience, the information technology, the genetic engineering, the aerospace, the, you know, the whole uh, mechanical revolution that happened even since um, 19, uh, since 1900. Um, let alone the information revolution. Um, today, we're faced with a similar thing with the information uh, and the knowledge revolution. Um, but we still have green technology, we have nanotechnology, and the kinds of uh, the areas where we don't even we can't even imagine right now ahead of us. So. Uh, Yes, we will lose some jobs. We'll lose them not only to technology but to the globalization, which is occasioned in part by the technology, by the fact that we can take jobs to the person instead of just having to bring people to the jobs. And so we're now competing worldwide, um, but we also have new uh, and very interesting fields that we can start to expand.
0: Thank you very much. Bill Briggs, I know you have some thoughts on this. Why don't you chime in?
3: Yeah, no, I know, I think it's great, and, and even in that definition, when people say technology is taking jobs, the shorthand today is still anchored in information technology, which in the last, you know, let's, let's call it five decades, of true exponential growth has been information technology So people immediately go to how does artificial intelligence and in, improve process automation, and those things change. But what Charlie is intimating is you know, this blend of technology and the science and medical science and material science and manufacturing science Uh, those those are evolving at a pace, and the impact will be as great, if not greater, in the decade-plus to come. And so it's it's interesting. We have to get out of tech just being IT into this broader definition of tech and science um, that will truly have profound effect across industry and and geography, I think.
0: Thank you. Dr. Stephen Hunt, want to chime in? What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, Yeah, well, I think when I talk about technology
4: and eliminating jobs, actually when I've seen more detailed analysis, Technology actually tends to create jobs because it fuels economic growth, but what it eliminates are semi skilled jobs. So it differentiates mm-hmm. the labor market into two very distinct groups, which are highly skilled jobs, sort of those people running the technology, and then very low skilled, sort of service type occupations. So, you know, a great example of this is supermarkets. <laughs> it used to be running a cash register it was a semi skilled job. You had to know where things were in the grocery store, you had to mm-hmm. do some mathematics. Now they, in a lot of the places, they have self-checkouts. And so you have Mm -hmm. one person who's got a much more complex job because they have to sort of monitor all this technology. And then you have baggers, but you don't have sort of that cash register person that's eliminated at semi-skilled position. And what this does actually is it makes it very hard to move from an unskilled job to a skilled profession through work because those semi-skilled jobs are where people would learn on the job. And since this technology has eliminated those we're seeing this very distinct separation of our labor markets into skilled and unskilled
0: Thank you, Stephen. I'm, I'm thinking of the checkout at the Walbams near me, where they have four separate checkout machines, self-service, and there's always got to be a person working at Walbams to monitor which of us forgets where to find the barcode, or we don't know how to scan an item, or the item's inside out, or we didn't bag it properly. And she, I think she works harder sometimes than the than the people at the checkout actual, the old-fashioned checkout stands with the cash register, where they have the scanner, but they just go scan and put in the bag, scan them, and. And she is really, really uh, customer service to another degree because she's helping those of us who were Clempt at doing self-checkout. But I digress. Anybody want to comment on the historical look back that Charlie started? Anything else from Charlie or Bill before we go in a slightly d- another it's direction? Charlie,
2: I think yeah. uh, the, the next thing to note is that that's moving, that trend is moving up the line. So, yes, the semi-skilled worker, um, but now it's coming to middle management. You're able with... Uh, increased technology, you are starting to hollow out more of the middle than, uh, than before, and you can sort of see it moving up the chain.
0: Thank you. Anybody else? Before I'm, I'm going to turn to some statements from Bill Briggs. Uh, Stephen, you good?
4: Um, yeah, I think just mainly at that point, I think you both those examples, which is um, it's this idea of learning on the job into skilled professions is increasingly doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. the, the gap between skilled and unskilled is too large. That I mean, I'm not saying we should still learning on the job, but you can't really become a skilled professional just by going to work now. And uh, I don't think we've fully figured out what that means yet.
0: That, that's a good point, and that goes to our the title of this topic, Stephen, is Technology for Good or Not Destroying Jobs and Lives. So I'm going to just preempt this right now and say, Stephen, overall, do you think that technology is destroying those lives as it destroys those jobs? So, want to just quickly comment on that? Um,
4: no, I don't. I think it's okay. forcing people to change and grow faster. I think the difficulty is a lot of people, especially – Well, I think it's different segments of society, but a lot of people really are not wired for this constant, continuous learning that's required, as well as making sure that people enter the labor market with the foundation to sort of effectively be literate in these changes. And I think one of the biggest things we're struggling with is in the mathematics. Um, I believe that to be literate in a technology-dominated world, you have to have a certain level of mathematics, I would say, at least to pre-calculus. Mm -hmm. Uh, But historically, we've treated math as something that you cannot know how to do. It's it's not okay not to know how to read. It's been okay to not be good at math. I think that's not true anymore, but I don't think as a society that we've really recognized that math is a very fundamental skill just to function in a technology-intense world.
0: Mm, good, good point, and that brings up the topic of education. And whose job is it anyway to let get to empower people and educate them and prepare them for the jobs of today and tomorrow that they're going to have to be prepared for? But that's a whole other topic. Jenny, you're taking notes. That's another topic. Comment from somebody? Go ahead. Well,
3: Bonnie, I, I think it's actually interesting that you look at what technology is enabling, and they just announced the Global Learning X Prize which basically saying can we create a platform to allow uh, basically the poorest and most technolo- folks without any access to technology can create a platform to allow them to gain it, not just simple, but you know, advanced literacy and numeracy um, and, and use that to drive the next generation of entrepreneurship and, and, and peace and growth. And mm-hmm. you know, that's something that would be unfathomable just 10 years ago to think about the, the scale that yeah. we're trying to take on. And so you say that you know, the traditional system of going to an accredited university to get a degree that goes to feed into a career path that has 20 years of on-the-job training to become an expert, you know that model is changing. But mm-hmm. the, the idea that there are places, you know, crowd platforms and collections of passionate individuals on the technologies that are driving above the low-skilled labor uh, curve that we're describing, uh, there's a way to. to To get deeper and actually gain expertise and meaningful expertise in a way that wasn't possible before, the technology is fueling. So it's there's another edge to that debate.
0: Thank you very much, and I
2: can follow up with uh, Mm -hmm. picking up from what Stephen said uh, about continuous learning. He he alluded to that, and today every job is getting obsolete in you know five years or so. Whatever you learned in college you've had to relearn or, you know, the odds are you're having to relearn something. And so everybody needs to um, have platforms and opportunities and have the disposition for continuous learning. Um, And that is a very key element of both the organization and the individual going forward in this uh, rapidly changing technological world.
0: Thank you.
4: Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. go ahead on the continuous learning I think where I get the most concerned is you know that's really exciting I think for a lot of people that are sort of wired into learning you know I think that's really for me personally fuels. I'd get bored to death doing the same job over and over again um <clears throat> but I think having people approach that and the other thing I do get concerned goes back to some of these fundamental skills and I'll go back again to math when I talk about math education it's not that people are going to be doing math But there are conceptual things you learn in learning math just like you do in learning to read. For example, the concept of the variable, you know, basic algebra, that concept of a variable actually is a way of thinking that if you don't have that way of thinking, it's very difficult to pick up and learn other things because it is a significant cognitive advancement in learning. And I think that's where people don't realize some of these foundational things, particularly I keep coming back to math, but I think it is a big Mm -hmm. one, um, it is very hard to understand how things work if you don't get comfortable with these certain sort of abstract concepts that actually show up everywhere else. So I, I get that's why I get worried that we're disenfranchising a lot of like the next generation by basically allowing them to not get fully educated in the quote hard subjects.
0: And, and if any listeners get anything as a takeaway from this discussion, even though we have another half hour or so to go, I would say your worry is what they should take away that we need to be concerned as a tribe, as a culture, as a society, as a global, global enterprise. Bill, let me talk to you about some comments you made in your notes to me. I think this would be a good place to segue. You said every company is a technology company. That sounds like a big mantra, something we should probably scroll on the side of a building or, or crochet on a pillow but let me add to what you you told me you said unprecedented innovation and growth in core technologies Mm -hmm. is fundamentally reshaping how work gets done how you engage with your customers how you compete in industries and one more comment you said you cannot separate business or innovation strategy from technology strategy so let's talk about why do you say every company is a tech company and then we'll have charlie and steve chime in go ahead bill
3: well, it 's the, it's, it's the pace the impact of the change, and if you look at the core business processes that we've spent decades to try to automate there 's improvements on every one of those there 's the introduction of digital and advanced analytics and other information technology disciplines are allowing us to do fundamentally different things than we could before you know not just answer different questions or do work differently, but we 're embedding you know, Intelligence and sensors into the balance sheet of life around Mm -hmm. us. Everything around us potentially is is gaining, if not awareness, then maybe intellect. Um, And so it it does change the game. The, the The challenge is how do you take advantage of that? And so, and when I focus a lot with the IT executive or the CIO in their shop, and part of that is to build off of we need core technology and math and science capabilities, but we also need artistry. We need design. And design needs to be a discipline. So it's not just STEM, but it's STEAM. Add an A for for creative arts or fine arts inside of it. And what we found is we have to bring to these problems not just engineers and not just data scientists and not just business process experts, but you need behavioral psychologists and cultural anthropologists. And uh, one retailer recently, the head of innovation, spoke about how they've added science fiction writers to their staff because you're trying to help articulate a vision of the future that is Mm -hmm. unprecedented. If we just take today and do incremental advances from today, we'll never realize the full potential. And so that's, you know, it's innovation. A big part of it's going to be important in exporting ideas, and how do we do that better? But it's also how do we create the sparks of what tomorrow could look like. And, And in that, it probably changes what are people, the skills that we need, and what they're doing day to day. But it doesn't mean that the people aren't important. So with all mm-hmm. the technology advances, you know, there's a lot of silicon and iron as we put compute resources and data resources against it. Uh, but the carbon element, if we have the chemistry of the worker of tomorrow, we still need the carbon, which is us, right? We still need people to mm-hmm. help fuel creativity and help find new questions to ask, new patterns that we couldn't see before.
0: Well put. We need the people, people footprint. I'm going to ask you a question before we get Charlie and, and Stephen to chime in. The question is Leadership. What kind of leadership does it take to recognize this, to acknowledge it, to empower it, to say, damn it, we've waited too long. We can't go become irresponsible. We have to be part of empowering people and yeah, it's, changing. It's, it's How, where does leadership. it come from? Yeah,
3: yeah. it's bold leadership. And, it, and if you if you just put it in the IT arena, we've basically conditioned our technology leaders to be risk adverse. To, you know, everything we're asking for is efficiency and efficacy on shrinking budgets where there's no tolerance for failure there's no tolerance for and and suddenly in this world we're talking about things we can't possibly anticipate that requires having uh, some natural risk inside of it uh, So so do we you know, i love Stephen gillette used to be the cio at starbucks he's now the ceo at Symantec, his mantra of how do we think big how do we start small how do we fail fast if we have to fail and how do we scale soon and in the middle of that there's a how do we learn and learn always, right? So it's if we're failing fast or winning quickly, what are we? What are we gaining from that? And how does that become part of what we reward uh, as leadership across the across the organization?
0: Very well put, Stephen. Do you want to chime in, or or Charlie? Yeah. Anybody?
4: Well, I thought you know what Bill's saying. I think is really keen in on that. That it's not just the technology skills, but there's the people skills. And I think in particular, what's happening is a greater value for people that are very very good at building relationships coordinating teams in such a fast-moving interconnected world people that can create that trust and coordination because you're mm-hmm. working with so many different people i think are becoming more and more valuable especially when you start looking at like cross-cultural virtual teams and. You know, I think uh, historically, this has been something that people have just picked up organically. I don't really know if that's something that can be trained without just throwing people in and having them do it. But I certainly know that some of the most successful leaders and successful people in companies are not necessarily technical experts, per se. They are the people that are really good at getting technical experts to work together.
0: Mm, Very, very good point. And we just did a show last week called – the topic was collaboration, not just a fancy word for working together. Very interesting topic. It's, it's a lot bigger than just that word. Uh, Stephen, thoughts?
2: No, yeah, that was Stephen. So
0: oh, that was Stephen. Hi. Yeah, that okay. Was Stephen. Charlie. Yeah,
3: you
0: <laughs> want me? <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> want you, Charlie. Stephen,
3: rebuttal?
0: <laughs> all, all of this testosterone around me, I can't tell one voice from the other. I'm so sorry. Just tell me who it is before you talk. It's Charlie, Charlie and please. I want Charlie. To, you know,
2: I think we're all in accord on this. Uh, both in the importance of leadership and the importance of what I would call scalable learning, or actually it's not me, it's uh, colleagues of Bill's at the uh, Deloitte Center for the Edge, um, and they talk about moving from scalable efficiency to scalable learning, but the point is that this learning process is important at every stage, at every level of employment, but particularly also in leadership, and mm-hmm. I define leadership as articulating a vision and empowering others to help reach it. And I think uh, when you look at um, the the concept of leadership, and not just leaders, but the fact that there's leadership in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways within an organization, that um, is an opportunity for, for a lot of people to exert leadership in this process.
0: Wow, I I have to go back to what you just said. Articulating a vision and empowering others to what was the rest of your quote? And I help love reach that. It. Help reach good. it. Thank you. I think we've got another great quote here. Okay. Who wants I, to chime in on that? I know we've got a lot going on here. Uh, it's it's I, too good to, to stop. Go no, ahead. just wanted
4: a talk. I think building on, on both of what Charlie and Bill Please. were saying. I think one of the things I saw recently you know, is that currently the average tenure in jobs is like five years and it's probably going I probably it's probably even shorter in some of these high tech fields. And when you think about how do you build an organization to say, look, really significant advancements, they take longer than five years to build, scale, get out. So when you've got constant turnover of staff and changing of staff, I think increasingly the people that are able to keep that clear vision, keep people coordinated, even though there's constantly different people coming in and out of the room, so to speak, that's really kind of an emerging form of leadership that is much different from, you know, I have this stable organization. It's more of sort of like leadership through sheer force of will and relationship building. Um, and I definitely am seeing that. I mean, in the, in the work that I'm doing, I work in a very global technology-enabled environment, and mm-hmm. you see this new form of leadership starting to emerge, which I think is very exciting because it's a highly skilled job, but it's not mm-hmm. a technical skill. It's a relationship skill.
0: Interesting. So, who are these leaders? Who, yeah, I just want to ask the, the panel in general: Who are these bold leaders who have to take up the mantle? Old-fashioned phrase. Uh, to to say we've we've got to move in a different direction. We have to have that vision. We have to have the empowerment. We have to reskill people. We have to understand where the world is going quickly. Who's going to do that? Who are these people? Any thoughts?
2: Well, again, I I feel that there's that we need to look at leadership beyond leaders. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I had this fight with uh, actually the president, former president of the Aspen Institute who, who defined our mission as empowering leaders to improve the human condition. And I felt that we're empowering leadership and the difference being not picking out who the leader is and then expecting them to be, you know, Mr. or Ms. Um, you know, Magic, that you, this has to be distributed and it's more and more is distributed. So I think we're seeing leadership rise uh to the occasion or you know if it doesn't the 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 organization fails but i think you can find it in a lot of places uh so Stephen gillette was mentioned earlier as the uh he was uh you know is at starbucks as a technology guy now he's the chief operating officer at Symantec. um you know people you know will rise to the to the uh to the occasion
0: Okay. Anybody yeah, I,
3: else on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bonnie, this is Bill. It's, it, part, part of my job is, is innovation. I tell our people all the time, it, it's not my job. It's everyone's job. And and mm-hmm. the challenge that they need to give to me is how, how do I help them learn better and, and you know, feel empowered to be able to do that experimentation, learning and growing. And I think that's true. The best leaders, that's what we you have to do is create that culture And, and or it's not going to happen, or it's going to happen too late. It's an artificial construct that's being layered off. Um,
0: we can always hope, right? I'm going to turn to something in Steve, Dr. Stephen Hunt's talking points. Uh, Steve, you sent me before the show, and I alluded to this in my introduction. I'd like to talk about the concept of reskilling. I think it's important for us to talk about because we want this to be an optimistic conversation. You said. A major challenge in how to reskill people whose jobs are eliminated quickly due to rapid advances in technology, and you gave the example: if we ever shift to computer-driven trucks, and I'll insert OMG, it will probably happen fairly quickly. What will we do with hundreds of thousands of people whose careers were "quote unquote" truck drivers? How do we how do we transition them, or do we just let them go out into the field and do nothing? Stephen, where's the hope here?
4: Well, I think one of the things is trying to look at the skills of people and say, are they transferable to other areas? I mean, I remember recognizing this once I used to work for Starbucks, and in recruiting you'll see this sometimes they discovered that retiring school teachers often made good store managers because the person kind of joked that it involved getting a people in their late teens and early 20s to show up on time, do what they're told, and smile.
0: Despite the pain, <laughs> keep smiling.
4: <laughs> but, I mean, that, I mean, I'm trivializing that, but I think the point is that they yes. said we, we had a skill set and hadn't really thought of the way the skill set from one context translated to another. I do think that's a big issue, kind of looking at some of these jobs. Like that truck driver example, people are talking about they may automate truck driving. Um, that's, mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons to suggest it makes, it makes sense uh... You, you probably when that happens what are we going to do with all these people and i think that's what we really have to think about how one making sure people are doing jobs so they're not blindsided by technology changes also making sure that we don't and this is more societally try to protect jobs by limiting technology because eventually the technology will win out and i think what happens when they sort of like try to legislate away legislate job security what happens is people's jobs, their skill sets become increasingly obsolete. So when that shift finally mean, happens, they really are left high and dry. Um, but the larger is I, I think we haven't really thought as a society uh, when people probably later in their career stages suddenly there's a massive switch. What do we do with these people? What is our commitment? Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what's not a good formula is large numbers of unemployed people with yep. financial commitments wandering around. That's not good for anyone's society so trying to figure out, how do we avoid that? Because I do think that's a real risk in certain segments.
0: Stephen, do you see this as more of an issue right now or, or projecting ahead in the U.S. versus European countries or, or in Asia? Are we seeing this this issue with outsource, out-phasing out, out people out of their jobs, and what do you do with them? Where is this the most uh, important right now?
4: Oh, I think you see it actually more. I think Europe's even worse with sort of job protectionism. Mm. Uh, okay. And I, I, Peter Howes, who's a workforce analytics person that works for SAP, had a really interesting observation. He said, these laws that are in place ostensibly to protect workers actually aren't, are hurting the entire workforce because, one, you allow mm-hmm. people to cling to jobs that increasingly don't make sense, but because yeah. you can't fire them and you can't eliminate the positions, companies sort of have to like tolerate, basically, jobs that no longer make sense, and there's no pressure to get people to evolve over time so you end up sort of having more catastrophic times when the economic model for these jobs just sort of collapses the other thing too is that companies when they're held by these sort of protectionism that they've got to hold employees that they can't really move or migrate to different jobs they become afraid to hire younger workers mm-hmm. because they you know, we go we're going to have them forever and so you end up and you see this is a big issue in uh... certainly in japan and in france and in germany where there's vast amounts of unemployed people in their 20s, and nobody quite knows. They say this: you do a lot of development in your 20s, and if you're unemployed for five or six years, like from 22 to 28, that probably does lasting psychological damage to some people, and I would say all people. And um, and that happens a lot of times because these companies are afraid to hire people because there's these mm-hmm. laws that once you hire them, you can't get rid of them, so to speak. You
0: own them forever. It's like family. (laughs) Yeah. Once they move into the basement, yep.
4: (laughs) Yeah. It's really about saying, how do we create a fluid, constantly changing Mm -hmm. labor market where a lot of our laws are set up to sort of say, well, you're in this job and you're protected forever, and that just doesn't make sense because jobs change all the time.
0: Yep, and then we're we're talking about worker rights, and we're talking about the health of the economy, and we're talking about the health of companies, and uh, there, there's a lot of conflicting interests here. Charlie, Charlie Firestone, well, thoughts on I, this?
2: I thought it was funny that. Uh, you thought that reskilling was going to be an optimistic part of the, <laughs> the discussion.
0: I did, I did.
2: <laughs> because I'm, I, I can't be optimistic about that exactly. I mm. think we do need, you know, I think Stephen's points were were well taken, and, mm-hmm. uh, in, in every one of them, but we're, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be left behind, and our societies. Yeah. Uh, are going to need to have safety nets and you know he's absolutely right about the large numbers of unemployed and that's what happened in the Middle East um, with the Arab Spring there was a lot of there were a lot of unemployed people who were uh, you know seeing what was going on in other places and that was one of the sparks Um, and that's you know that's a volatile area but that's not something you want to uh, you want to foster so um, yes, we're going to have to have programs for reskilling. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be difficult. But if you take the tr- truck driver, there still will be trucks going. They're going to have to be loaded, unloaded, which is part of what the yep. driver does. Somebody's going to have to be there to do that. There's going to be people who are going to be dealing with highways, uh, who, you know, who understand the nuts and bolts of transportation. Uh, we don't even know what those jobs are, uh, exactly right now, but there'll probably be some where there can be conversion even within their own, uh, industry, uh, let alone going to other, other industries. But, but the uh, the wages are not, you know, the wages are pretty stable. They're pretty. They're not rising. The the value in our increased productivity is going to the to the capital end of the equation, not the labor. And uh, there are real problems uh, that we're fa- we're going to need to face, including the increased inequality.
0: Thank you, Bill Briggs. Thoughts before I go to break? Go ahead.
3: Well, only that. It's a question of I, I agree with the points from Charlie and Stephen on there there is going to be a, a pretty scary uh, segment that's affected, and whose responsibility is is it for retooling and helping mm-hmm. you know, those individuals grow, and the organizations themselves. Hopefully, there's transparency in in the planning, and if there's chances to. Redeploy them in other parts of logistics, or fleet management, whatever it might be. That's fantastic. The, the, I, maybe the only bright spot is there are platforms out there where folks that are moonlighting or you know, basically learning, following a passion or a hobby, can monetize um, their wares in a way that wasn't available before. And so, crowdsourcing—you know—it's something we wrote about last year as a tech trend that's, mm-hmm. that's coming up. You know, everything from menial labor to Data science and video production and software engineering, where right? I don't care about your tenure or your accreditation with a degree. It's outcome-based, and in a way, it's a, it's a democratizing agent that you know, folks can monetize skills and burgeoning skills in a way they wouldn't they couldn't before. Um, if Charlie Sergeant. mentioned. Colleagues yeah. of mine, Seely Brown and John Hagel in the Center for the Edge, and their focus has been on it's not stockpiles of IP. It's flows of information and flows of skills. Um, and that's an interesting space to be. It, it requires a lot of investment, uh, personal capital for sure, to be able to make that bridge. and Certainly not everyone will be able to do it. But,
2: but just if I could add one more thing, yes, which please. is uh, that last point. So you have uh, the truck driver who's laid off. Uh, they now have odesk I mean, odesk and taskrabbit and some of these uh platforms where you can essentially elance you can you know come in and do this chore or that task uh for a fee and you know find work that you didn't know was out there uh it's not going to be as lucrative as that union tr- you know teamster truck driver <laughs> that's
3: mm-hmm. the problem yeah But it is a path for that on the job training that's going away. I mean, we hire in our analytics group, and and, uh, Kaggle is a data science and analytics crowdsourcing platform. Typically, the jobs that they've done and competed on is right next to their degree and their internships and their work history as ways that they credentialize. So it's an interesting way to build expertise that wasn't available even a few years ago.
4: Yeah. I think one of the things I was, I was talking, because I do think there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for people to do learning and kind of a transition, but I think we have a problem where a lot of our labor laws and our approach to employment is you're supposed to guarantee employment as opposed to guarantee people are employable. Mm. And I think Mm. a lot of companies, as technology does, they'll dumb down jobs because they get greater margins. But then you've got these people in these jobs that aren't learning any transferable skills and are sort of allowed to become unemployable, basically. So the the promise of guaranteed employment or the requirement that companies provide employment is different from, like, a commitment that they keep people employable, which, you know, I I sort of think about the larger education and reskilling, I remember talking to somebody once about education, and they were kind of against it, and we shouldn't give away education. And I thought to myself, you know, we have to live in the same society. The reason I think we should have more education is I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people that are disenfranchised Mm. and uneducated and in the United Mm -hmm. States probably well-armed. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, well, that's an interesting thing. I was going to take a break, but I I want to bring in one thing. I don't think we touched on the fact that for the first time in history, I've been told by other panels on this HR Trend with Game Changer series, the first time in history we have four generations working, hopefully side by side and hopefully being good and nice about it, in the workplace, and that uh, we had a recent show talking about baby boomers versus enough about millennials, what about the boomers and encore careers? And on one show, a panelist said, not knowing me, she said, I wish those baby boomers would just retire and go away already. Uh, uh. <laughs> she did, and I have to look up who she is because I'm going to go find her. <laughs> Anyway, let's try to take a break. We're going to take a quick one. Michael, just, just 60 seconds. I want to give my panelists just a breather here. Go get a sip of something wonderful. I don't know if it's scotch time yet to our panelists from Kentucky, but you can dream about it. We're going to go back, come back in just a minute. We're going to talk about our prediction segment. We call it the crystal ball. I'm going to ask Charlie Firestone at the Aspen Institute, Bill Briggs at Deloitte Consulting and Dr. Stephen Hunt at Success Factors to fast forward to the year 2020 or any year, weekday, month or second that may appeals to you in the crystal ball and tell us what would we be saying at that point in time about our topic today, which is technology for good or not, destroying jobs and lives. What will happen in the intervening years? We're going to go out for just a moment. Michael out.
1: With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best-fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. H.R. Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're enjoying H.R. Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers.
0: Quick shout-out to Jennifer McAdams, sponsor of the series, for tweeting. We've got tweets coming from Inside WDF. We've got tweets from Technology Pineapple, whoever you are, thank you. And we've got tweets from Deloitte SAP and from ABAP4SAP.S.L. Okay, Charlie Firestone, two minutes on the dot. Predictions, go.
2: Well, first I think that uh, the skilled and intelligent will leverage the technology uh... to a great extent and that they will uh... you know prosper i think uh... the unskilled will uh, basically it'll lead to a, a greater uh... divide in terms of income and wealth in our country unfortunately i'm i'm worried about that a lot uh... and then secondly i think you just have to look at this as a global uh, a global issue and while u.s. employment may go down Uh, particularly in the middle. We talked about hollowing out the middle. uh, Mm -hmm. There will be a lot of new employment in a lot of places around the world, uh, including some very, very poor places where people will be elevated from extreme poverty through organizations such as SamaSource, which is using the technology to uh, bring tech jobs to people in Uganda
3: and Nigeria.
0: Thank you very much. Bill Briggs, talk to me. Predictions, how far out do you want to go? Well,
3: I, I always say I'll predict anything but the future, but uh, let's, let's take the oh. 2019, your original positive. 2020,
0: 2020. 2020, okay,
3: 2020. So yep. the leading companies, I think, would be the ones that can reconstitute themselves uh, pretty dynamically. So the ability to say, how do we understand, harness, and and, and really use new technologies and new ideas to disrupt. Um, those are the ones that are going to be the new Fortune 100. So you translate that to the definition of employee, I think it looks a lot different than it does today. And so the idea of, can we have expertise that we can tap into maybe dynamically, and can we create the culture for learning? You know, Teaching how to learn on top of teaching skill sets, uh, mm-hmm. and having it, it, a flattened organization from what most of the the constructs are today that are command and control and hierarchy-based, and you know, trying to drive for repeatability of process. There's going to be a part of that. The core is going to exist, but we need to complement it with uh, tapping into passions, harnessing those passions to do to work differently, to help people have the chance to retool, reskill. Um, and the companies do that well. That's not just going to be how it, you know, how they compete now manifests in their market cap, but it's also going to be their culture and and their brand and you know. Talent is the one scarcity we can we can be assured is going to continue. Uh, they'll have a leg up on attracting the talent that we'll need, which is not just the historical business talent or technical talent, but you know that design and creative artistry talent that is going to actually rule tomorrow.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Stephen Hunt. I can give you two minutes. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, well, I think um, sort of building
4: on what Bill said, I think on the for skilled labor, it's going to be really great. Um, there's going to be an increasing shortage of skilled labor. I think skilled employees are going to have much of a meritocracy, regardless of where they're located around the world. Um, there's going to be little tolerance for bad management practices because companies are going to have to effectively engage and retain these people. And they don't. Mm-hmm. Basically, companies are going to need them more than they're going to need those companies, and that's going to force companies to get much better at treating people fairly and equitably who are skilled. On the unskilled side, I am quite nervous. I definitely echo what Charlie said, um, Mm -hmm. that we are going to have growing numbers of sort of disenfranchised people that are saying, hey, there's there's this labor market growing, but I'm not part of it. Um, That makes me nervous, but when I'm optimistic, I'm forever the optimist. I do believe we have a lot of great ideas. Bill was mentioning ways that we can get skilled people, and technology helps us. Unskilled people develop and build skills, and I am optimistic that as companies realize we need more skilled employees, there will be greater use of technology and focus on finding a way to bridge that gap between unskilled labor and skill them up so they can get into these skilled jobs. Because um, on the skilled side, I think life is going to be really, really good. Um, On the unskilled side, uh, that's a little more of the question mark. But I'm, I'm optimistic that we can figure it out.
0: I was hoping we'd end out on an optimistic note. We have just a little time left before I do my closing. I want to throw a bonus question with a yes or no answer, please. That's all we have time for to my panelists on the topic of reskilling. Do we need to look at reskilling the HR leadership and company leadership in terms of understanding what we've discussed here today? What the needs are for future workforce and company growth and industry health. Uh, quickly, Charlie Firestone, do we need to Absolutely. reskill? We
4: Absolutely. do.
0: Okay. Thank you. Bill Briggs. Uh-huh.
3: Definitely, yes.
0: Okay, Stephen Hunt.
4: Uh, Yes, for sure, although I don't think it's about HR doing things differently. It's just doing what they always should have done better.
0: Ah, okay. Jennifer, I think we have a new topic for later in your series. There's, there's a lot to be uncovered that we just touched on the surface. Thank you to my wonderful panelists, Charlie Firestone at the Aspen Institute, Bill Briggs, Deloitte Consulting, Dr. Stephen Hunt. Always a pleasure to have you, and I'm so delighted you enjoyed talking to these other gentlemen. Stephen Hunt at Success Factors. I have some predictions, and they're really easy here. Well, this is Monday, so we're HR Trends. Tomorrow, we're going to come back to you with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're in Season 3, closing out on that one soon, Wednesday morning I have coffee break with game changers the flagship show we've been doing for a couple of years here on Wednesday afternoon let's see we're gonna have episode two of the customer edge with game changers the following week on Wednesday afternoon the Internet of Things with game changers debuts and on Thursday morning I'll come to you with innovating innovation with game changers one week and future of business with game changers the other I'm not confused I hope you're not shout outs to Jennifer McAdams Stephen Thorne Sylvia Lennon Malcolm Kimberlin, Michael and the business channel team and I have a call to action for all of you fasten your seat. Seatbelt, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham for SAP signing off. Bye bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.